Okay, so we're in a series called Back to the Future. There it is up there on the screen. And um, I, I want you to understand, it is a wait. I cannot stand to waste time. It is a waste of time for you to try to go forward in life if there's things that you have not dealt with from the past. Psychologists say that whenever you get into your 30s, that's when all the things start to come up from childhood and your teenage years and young adult years. So I encourage you, no matter what age you are, if there's something you discover that's in your heart that is not pure, that's not from God, deal with it. Because it'll taint all the things that God wants to do in your future. And I see too many people that God's wanting to bless and wanting to promote. But it is obvious there's something in their heart that they need to deal with before God will open up that door. If a door is not opening in your life, it's not the devil's fault. It's not the people's fault. It's not your parents' fault. It's not the president's fault. If there's a door not opening in your life, it's because there's something inside of you that God's trying to deal with before he can open the door. Because if he puts you in that position, if he, if he promotes you in some way because of what's in your heart, you'll demote yourself. And we all think we're, every one of us in this room, me included, we all think we're ready to go to the next level. But when it's time, God will do it. But we have to make sure we're doing our part and keeping our heart right. And so uh, today in part seven, I want to talk to you about this. Forgive your enemies. Forgive your enemies. When you write the word enemies, don't accidentally write the word enemas. Um, they're, they're very synoptic. Enemas and enemies, they're both a pain in the... Okay, so enemies. So... Um, a lot of times when I talk to people about pains from their past, a lot of people remember a situation or a circumstance, but then there's other people that they remember a certain person, a specific person that caused the pain, that did the horrible thing to them in the past, that stole money from them, that did a bad business deal. Uh, an enemy can be a relative, it can be a coworker, it can be a bully at school. Um, enemies are people that love to talk about you behind your back. And when they talk about you, they never tell the full story. It is so funny how they will tell, and, and when you, and if anyone confronts they say, well, what I'm saying is the truth. Yes, but it's 10% of the truth. There's 90 more percent that you intentionally leave out. Enemies are people that they, they want you to get fired from your job. They, they try to always whisper negative things to the head-to-head person about you. Enemies, um, they, they desire for you to fail. They, they, they get so excited if you fall or if you lose or if you miss out on something in life. These are, does anybody have any enemies in their life? Have you ever had an enemy? Maybe the person sitting next to you, you don't want to raise your hand, that's okay. Um, but the higher you go in God, the more enemies Satan's going to send your way. And you know, whenever we think about our enemies, we love to kind of envision God um, beheading them. Or, you know, striking them down with lightning. Or at least that's what I've envisioned in my past. I don't know, maybe y'all aren't like me, but whatever. But I want you to, God doesn't want to kill your enemies. He actually wants to save your enemies. And sometimes he'll use us to do that. God allows Satan to send enemies our way because, number one, it tests our heart to see what's really going on in here. And number two, God might want to turn that Saul into Paul. You know, Saul was persecuting Christians, and we think when someone persecutes us, God needs to destroy them right now. God saved Saul, turned him into Paul, and he became a great apostle. But it all depends on our heart how we handle these enemies. I want to start with two scriptures, put them both on the screen. Romans 12, 19 says this, never avenge yourselves. Now, you might not know this, but behind closed doors, sometimes I think that I'm Spider-Man. I don't know if you've ever seen my Facebook page, but I, just this past week, I dressed up as Spider-Man for the Chamber of Commerce, something they were having in, in Myrtle Beach. But I'm not the real Spider-Man, just don't, so don't get excited. I'm not an Avenger, but we do have an Avenger. In fact, there's only one true avenger. His name is God. Never avenge yourself, but leave the way open for God to avenge 
you. Hebrews 10 30 says this, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay exact compensation. I will judge, solve, and settle the cases of my people. Okay, a few things I want you to see. Uh, the first one is this. There are, um, there's three things, and if you want to, you can write this down. There's three things in the Bible that belong to God that you better never touch. Three things that are his, and if you dare do anything with these things, you will live under the curse that is on this planet Earth. The first one is worship. Worship belongs to God. You don't worship anybody. You don't worship gold, money, any person. You worship God only. The second is the tithe. The tithe, God says, this is mine. You don't designate it. You don't write missions on there. You don't bake your neighbor a pie with the tithe. The tithe belongs to God. So you bring the first 10% of your income to the local storehouse. Don't touch it or there's a curse on your finances. The third thing is this, revenge. Revenge belongs to God. It is not yours. Vengeance is his. And the scripture says this, you got to leave the way open. Now, when you forgive your enemies, you leave the way open for God to do two things. For him to pay you back exact compensation for what happened to you. Whether it was emotional pain, financial, uh, physical, mental, whatever the enemy did to you, God wants to pay you back. And God keeps very, very detailed records of what happens to his children. But that door is only open when you forgive. The second thing God wants to do is he wants to deal with your enemy. God wants to be the one to deal with that person because God knows their heart. God knows where he's trying to get that enemy that's in your life to. God knows what he wants to happen. But the second you avenge yourself, God very graciously steps back and says, okay, you can do it on your own. I'm out of here. If you want to leave the way open for God to pay you back and take care of your enemy, you have to forgive quickly. But if you take matters into your own hands, if you try to somehow avenge yourself, the door is closed for God to do his part. Let me show you some ways that we try to avenge ourselves. We do things like this. We gossip and speak negatively of the person. That makes us feel better, right? To tell somebody the bad things that they did and, and their, their lack of character. Uh, you respond to them, you know, respond to email, Facebook, text to your enemy. Whenever you respond, <laughs> you never say, I love you and I forgive you. The response is never godly. There's always some underlying, you know, passive aggressive, you know, kind of thing. The third thing is this. You pray, Lord, the Bible says to pray for my enemies. So I pray that you strike them down with lightning. Don't kill them. I just want them to hurt for a few decades. That's it. And then I'll feel better about things. Okay, that's the third thing. Here's the other thing we do. We desire for them to fail. Now, I just told you that your enemies are people who desire for you to fail. The second you do one of these things, and I'm sure there's a lot more things that we can do. The second you do that, listen, now you've become an enemy to God. And God has to deal with you. Doesn't that stink? Isn't that horrible that somebody does us wrong and the second we do them wrong or the second we somehow try to get even or feel better about any of these things, now God has to deal with us. I would much rather God deal with them and bless me. The way that happens is you forgive and let it go. So my three points today, and you'll see by the end how cohesive they are in structure, but the three points are designed to try to get you to leave this church today with your enemies given to God. Forgive, let it go, and leave this place free. So three points, and these three points are things that happen when you fail to forgive your enemies. Point number one is this. It infects your heart today. It infects your heart today. And if anything negative is in your heart, it destroys every single area of your life. The way you parent your children is based on your heart. The way you, the, how, how good of a worker you are, Monday through Friday, how diligent is your heart. If you're on time, if you're excellent, it's your heart. The way you respond, your heart. The way you think, your heart. Everything comes out of your heart. That's why you can't have anything in your heart that is not supposed to be there. Matthew 18, 35, my heavenly father will deal with every one of you if you do not forgive from your heart. 
from your heart. Now, let me show you how important the heart is, okay? 1 Samuel 16, 7, man looks on the outside, but the Lord judges the heart. God judges you by your heart. So don't go around saying, oh, they don't know me. I've got a good heart. If there's unforgiveness in there, you don't have a good heart. You don't. God judges you by your heart. Matthew 22, 37, all the commandments are summed up into this. Love from your heart. We, 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 so many Christians love to say, yeah, yeah, I know the Ten Commandments, but man, the, oh, the, the number one commandment, love God and love people. Yeah, from your heart. From your heart. So if your heart's not right, how can you do it? Romans 10, 9, salvation is a heart issue. Whether or not you're going to heaven or hell is a heart issue. Believe in your heart, Christ rose from the dead and you will be saved. Psalms 27, 8, my heart hears the voice of God. You hearing from God is a heart issue. So let's go over it again. He judges you based on your heart. The only commandment, the main commandment, all the commandments summed up is this, love with your heart. Um, salvation, heaven or hell, heart issue. Hearing from God and responding, heart issue. So if there's unforgiveness in your heart today, all of these things are tainted in your life. And this is just four of about 2,000 scriptures I could have used in the Bible based on the heart. Um, let me read you something that I found. Um, is these records, true story. These I, I might be a little bit strong, Ricky. These are transplant patients who received new hearts, physical hearts, okay? They discovered that the previous owners that donated the heart to them, um, they also donated um, some thoughts as well, okay? True stories. Uh, this 52-year-old man who loved classical music, after getting his new heart from a teenage boy that had passed away, suddenly he developed a love for heavy metal music. That would be a nightmare. Um, a man who received a heart from a woman who was hit by a train began having reoccurring dreams about train wrecks. A young boy who received a heart from a woman, I'm sorry, a young boy who received a heart transplant woke up and as soon as he woke up from his surgery, the first thing he told his parents is, everything is copacetic. He had never heard that phrase, never heard that word in his entire life, but later learned that the donor and the donor's wife would say that phrase to each other to reassure each other after they had an argument. Everything's copacetic. Last one. After an eight-year-old girl, this is a whole written documentary on this, after an eight-year-old girl received the heart from a murdered child, she began having nightmares. When she'd wake up from her nightmares, she'd tell her parents about it, and she would describe the circumstances of the donor's death and the killer with such detail the police were able to capture the murderer who was later convicted of the crime all because of something that's now you tell me your heart is not important uh proverbs 423 above all else guard your heart because out of it flows every single issue you'll ever have in life if you have any issues in life today stop pointing the finger look in the mirror and say there's something wrong with my heart there's something inside my heart that needs to be dealt with. Now, here's why I'm saying all this. 1 John 3.15, whoever hates another in his heart is a murderer by God's standards and does not have eternal life abiding in him. The Greek word here, which I didn't bother to write the Greek word because you wouldn't remember it anyway. Um, all you remember is that cats are from hell. That's okay. Uh, 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 it means continued anger. If you have continued anger in your heart, here's what the scripture says. You need to see if you're saved. There's a good chance you might not be saved. All these years you thought you were saved because you came to church and you did good things and you heard about God. But if there's continued anger in your heart, because meaning you're saved means that Jesus lives in your heart. The one who died for all of your sins, all the things you've done wrong, the thousands and thousands of things you've done wrong. Someone died for that. But then this person that hurt you two or three times, you can't forgive them. Is Jesus in your heart? 
Because he's forgiven you for thousands of things. And these few things you can't let go of? Continued anger. Um, I read a true story. This disease broke out in a, in a little village in Africa back in the 90s. And the people were dying and they couldn't figure out why. So some doctors came from the United States to try to find the problem. Days and days of testing. Finally, they realized that the water was contaminated that the people drank from in that village. Their water came from a, a mountain stream. On the surface, the water looked fine. Let me say it again. On the surface, on the surface, the water looked like everything was okay. But they discovered by sending some divers down below that this huge pig got stuck and wedged, drowned in the bottom of that stream, stuck with some rocks. Now all this pure mountain spring water was flowing past the remains of a dead pig and contaminating the water that everyone was drinking, killing people. The good news is all they had to do was get that pig out of there and then that fresh water flowed pure once again. Leave this church with no dead pigs inside of your heart today. Because if there's something in there, understand everything in life flows out of your heart. Ephesians 4.26 says, don't let the sun go down while you're angry. For anger gives the devil a When I read the scripture, every time I read it, I think of this. I got enough problems with the devil when I'm awake. I do. I got enough problems when my eyes are open. The last thing I need is while I'm sleeping to have an open door for Satan to come into my life. That sucks right there, right? If there's anger in your heart and you go to bed with it, Satan says, okay, while you're sleeping, I'm coming in there and I'm going to destroy things in your life. If it stays in your heart overnight, it turns into unforgiveness. If it continues in your heart, it turns into hatred. And by God's standards, you're a murderer. Matthew 5:44. love your enemies and pray for those who hurts you. Pray that God saves them. Pray that God brings them to a place of repentance. Now the word love here does not mean to be in relationship with them. So do not think that person that completely destroyed you or that broke trust, now you have to take them out to lunch and be their friend. No, 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 no. You trust based on integrity, but you love no matter what. And you forgive no matter what. Love here, 1 Corinthians 13 is love, right? Love forgives. There's love. Love believes the best. There's love. Love is not rude or prideful. That's love. Love does not keep a record of wrongs. That's love. Okay, so you forgive. Now, before I go to point number two, I think maybe, maybe, maybe last week I might have offended a few people, maybe one or two, when I said that cats are from hell. Okay, so let me redeem myself because if I ever find out I offend you, I want to offend you twice as much the following. No, I'm just kidding. I want to make up for it. So... Um, cats are not from hell. Um, I don't know where they go when they die, but they're not from hell. Um, there's, there's one good thing about cats. Okay, one good thing. It took me a long time to think of it, but I finally got one good thing about cats. Cats love people who hate them. And I can prove it to you, because one time, I remember going to this, most likely an old single white woman has a cat, and so I went to her house one day. I'm just kidding, I'm not trying to offend people. And I wore a, calm down, I wore... I wore a really, don't say that in the second service, check. I wore a really nice suit, right, freshly dry cleaned, and I went to visit this little old lady, and, and all, as soon as you go in the door, if someone has a cat, the first thing the cat does is it runs up to you, and it rubs every single millimeter of its body 
across your clothing. I mean, it just presses itself all up against the clothing and it makes sure to shed at least one or two layers of fur all over your legs. Doesn't matter if you're allergic or not, the cat doesn't care. And so when this happens, the owner of the cat never says, oh, let me move Fluffy out of your way. No, no, no. The owner never says, oh, just kind of push Fluffy and he'll go. No, no, no. The owner always says this, Fluffy loves you. <laughs> Listen, I love people too, but I don't rub every inch of my body all over their leg. And then just like a cat, when it walks away, it sticks its tail straight up in the air at you, like kiss mine, you know, that's what it's thinking. Anyway, so be like a cat. Love people who hate you, okay? There, I made up for it. Okay, point number two is this. It affects your honor tomorrow. It affects your honor tomorrow. It affects your heart today. And then when your heart is infected, now tomorrow's infected. And what God wants to do in your life the place of promotion and honor that he wants to put you, he cannot do it to someone whose heart's not pure. First Peter 3, 9, never avenge, your, ne never return evil for evil so that you may inherit a blessing. So um, your blessings are not taken away when someone does you wrong. So if you think, well, because of this person, I'm not blessed. They cheated me out of the deal. That's why I'm not blessed. They abused me. I'm not blessed. They lied about me. That's, no, no, no. It has nothing to do with them. It has to do with how you respond to them. The way you respond to an enemy determines if you're blessed or not. Once again, it's up to your free will. How horrible would that be if God said, okay, your destiny is in the hands of everyone else, especially your enemies. No, your destiny is in your hands. If you respond accordingly, then your blessing will be there. There was a man in the Old Testament, a Jewish guy named Mordecai. And um, Mordecai was a great man of integrity. In fact, he's the one that adopted um, Esther, who later became Queen Esther, you know. And, and, and Mordecai served God with his whole heart. And he was a good man and he worshiped God, but he had an enemy. You know, even if you're doing the right thing, that does not stop people from coming after you. His enemy was named Haman. And Haman was the king's assistant. Okay, have you ever had an enemy that was ranked higher than you at work? They're not CEO, but they're over you and they love to try to talk the head head person into not liking you or firing you or they say bad stuff about you. That's what Haman did to Mordecai. Esther 514 says Haman was outside making gallows. A gallow is what you hang somebody on. Uh, if you don't have a tree, you know, they build those things like you see in the old Western movies and they'd kick the chair out from under them and they'd hang on the gallows. And Haman was building gallows with the intention of speaking to the king so that Mordecai the Jew would be hanged on it. But Mordecai just kept doing the right thing, kept honoring God because his life is not in the hands of his enemy. His life is in the hands of how he responds to his enemy. In Esther 6.1, it says, that night the king couldn't sleep. So he sent for the book of records. This was a book about the history of their area. And he read how years before this other King Xerxes, um, how Mordecai uncovered a plot to assassinate this other king. Do you know if, if God wants somebody to notice you, God will make them notice you? You don't have to manipulate your enemy to like you. You don't have to explain yourself and make people see your side of it for everything to be okay in your life. If God wants somebody to find you and promote you, he will send somebody. to. Remember when um, Samuel came to the house of Jesse? If you're out in the middle of the woods taking care of sheep, God will send somebody to find you and promote you if it's your time to be promoted. And so Mordecai, so he's reading about this guy named Mordecai. Now, the king, picture this, okay? He's laying in bed, he's reading this book at night, and, and Haman's outside building something to hang Mordecai on. 
and the king couldn't sleep. So in Esther 6.6, 6, he looks out the window and he sees his assistant, Haman. He says, Haman, what should I do for a man who I want to honor? What should I do for someone I want to promote? It's time, God says it's time for this person to be promoted. They're not getting even with their enemy. They keep doing the right thing, even though the wrong things happen to them. So what can I do for this guy? And in verse 8, because Haman thought he was talking about himself. That's how prideful he was. In verse 8, he says, King, you should give this guy a royal robe and a crown. You should give him the king's horse, and you should have somebody lead him through the street saying, the king honors this man. Man, Haman could taste it. His mouth was watering. He could not wait. He was pulling out his iPhone, taking selfies. Today's my day. Putting it on Facebook. Hashtag promotion. You know, it's all ready, right? All of a sudden, verse, in verse 10, the king says, okay, Haman, go quickly and do just as you've said for Mordecai the Jew. Can you picture Haman taking Mordecai, the guy who he's trying to kill, by the horse and saying, the king honors this man, the king honors this man, you know, walking all through town. How many of you in this room has God anointed to be in a position of honor, but you're too busy trying to pay back the Hamans in your life? You know, it, it was never part of your design destiny to waste time with the people who don't like you. And, 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 the, and it took me many, many years to learn this because I used to try to explain myself and if they would just hear my heart, if they knew I'm trying my best and all that. No, no, when, I, when I'm spending time with people who don't like me, I'm taking that time away from my family and from people who do love me and who do want me in their life. It's a waste of time to deal with those critics. Um, as a pastor, and especially one that fell years ago, I have a lot of enemies out there, a lot of critics and stuff. And, and people are always saying something about me. And I've learned over the years to just smile and let it go. And uh, there's this, this one guy, I knew he's always talking, I knew he's always talking bad about me. And he texted me about a year ago and he said, I need some work, I need some money. And I thought, well, you know, I want to respond, you jerk. You shouldn't be talking about me. Now you're asking me for help. But I had some money, so I paid him to do some landscape here around church. You know, just if someone ever asks for money, I, I always give them work, you know. And it was maybe two days of work. I think I paid him $8 an hour, $9 an hour, something like that. And so he did his work, and I didn't hear from him for a while. Well, a few months after that, somebody sent me a screenshot of a, of a Facebook page. It was like Myrtle Beach or Surfside or North Myrtle Beach. It had like hundreds of thousands of followers on this Facebook page. And someone was saying, what church should we go to? We're visiting Myrtle Beach. And everybody kept saying, solid rock, solid rock. Well, this guy put all kind of horrible things about me on this Facebook page. And I said, I can't believe this guy did this. I just paid him to work. You know, I just gave him some money. But I let it go because I've learned there's nothing I can do about it. Once I start explaining or fighting, I'm wasting my time. A few months after that, which was about maybe three or four months ago, I was walking into the mall at the same time he was walking out. It's so funny how your enemies will never say it to your face. They never say nothing. They're like they're your best friend when they see you face to face. And I said, I said, I said, hey, man, I said, what, what, what are you doing? And he said, oh, I'm trying to get home, but I don't have enough money for an Uber and I don't want to have to walk. And before I could even think, before I could even process what he said, I don't know how it happened. Somehow my hand was in my pocket. I pulled out $20 and I handed it to him. And he walked away. And I thought, what the H-E-double-L did you just do, John Paul? You just freaking gave your enemy some money. Like, what are you thinking? And then I thought, well, you know what? Maybe I'm supposed to, to bless my enemies. No, I don't want to do that. Give me my money back. And it's like God from heaven was going, ha, 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 I got you, I got you, you know. So I let it go. I thought, you know what? Well, at least now he won't talk bad about me, 
right now I've made a friend and now we're, we're okay or whatever. Two months later, someone sent me another screenshot. This time he said twice as many things about me on Facebook. Hundreds of thousands of people could read it, but I let it go. Now, let me tell you the truth. The reason I let these things go and the reason it doesn't bother me and I forgive is not because I'm a good person. And it's not because I love God. I love God, but that's not why I let it go. To be completely transparent with you, the reason I never, ever, ever waste time with enemies is because I know God wants to honor me in life. And he'll never honor somebody that's got unforgiveness in their heart. And I know that God's wanting to do things in my future. And I know that it'll taint my future. I care more about where God wants to take me than the people in life that are trying to bring me down. And what I've noticed that is even funnier, this always blows my mind. The enemies that I have and the enemies that any other pastor or church or anything faces, it's always someone who calls themselves a Christian. I've never had an atheist give me a bad review on Google, ever. I've never had a drunk or an alcoholic, I've never had a drug addict, never had anyone that worships Satan say, I don't like your church, y'all aren't doing a good job and the music's too long and whatever. Never had, it's always, if you go on any church on Google, and you know how you can look up the reviews and then you can fix it where you see like the lowest review first, every one of those one stars are from Christians. Blows my mind. Let me just teach you something about giving bad reviews to restaurants or anywhere. Don't ever do it. You're a Christian. You believe the best. Maybe they had a bad day. You don't need to let the world know your opinion. The Bible says in Ephesians 4, 26, let nothing unwholesome ever come out of your mouth, but only say that which is beneficial for the spiritual progress of others. If it's not spiritually progressing somebody, don't put it online. Ever. You're crazy for doing that. It, it, it might, someone's going to, you reap what you sow. What if it was your child and it was their business? and they didn't have a good day and they hired somebody that didn't do a good job or whatever, you would think this, well, give them another chance. They're doing their best. But then when someone does it to you, the first thing you want to do is tell three people or 300,000 people nowadays with social media. So Nehemiah, he was up on a ladder building a wall that God called him to build to help protect his people. But he had critics. He had critics. And Nehemiah 4.3, Sanballat and Tobiah ridiculed me saying, what kind of wall can you build? A fox could knock down your wall. Anytime you're doing good things for God, there will always be somebody to criticize you. Now watch this, Nehemiah 6.3. They sent me a message saying, let us meet together. But I told them I'm doing a great work. I cannot come down. Here's the principle. Nehemiah is up on a ladder building a wall. His enemies are down below. Anytime you respond to your enemy, you have to go down to their level. Anytime you take time out of your day, emotional energy, anything, to respond to an enemy, it means you have to stoop down to their level, and now you're doing the same thing they did. Whatever they said, then you're coming back at it, you're at the same level they are. My encouragement is stay up high. Stay up high and do the good work God's called you to do. You'll never complete it if you're wasting time with unforgiveness towards some person in life. And if you ever... <clears throat> Have you ever read a scripture in the Bible a hundred times and then all of a sudden you come to church one Sunday or one day in Bible study or whatever, you read it a hundred and one times and it's like, oh my goodness, I can't believe I just saw that. You ever had that happen? You read your Bible, you read the same thing 500 times and then all of a sudden just like that, it's like, where did that come from? So I've read the Christmas story 500 times, right? All through the Bible. I grew up in a Christian school as a child and I had it read to me over and over again. Same scripture about Joseph, you know, Mary's husband. I read it this past Christmas when I read it, all of a sudden my eyes just opened up and it amazed me. Watch this, Matthew 119. And I highlighted the words, and Joseph, her husband, <clears throat> being just and upright. Let me show you what a just and upright person looks like. 
they never want to disgrace people publicly. He thought that she cheated on him, and rightfully so, she's pregnant. The angel had not yet visited Joseph to say, hey, she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. So he thought she did him wrong, which is fine. That's what he thought. But he, God says a just and upright person never disgraces anyone in public. They always deal with it one-on-one -on -one privately. That blew my mind. Because I thought, I want to be known as a just and upright person. I don't want to be somebody that's always trying to, you know, prove myself online and, and tell everybody, if you just hear my heart, let me explain myself to you. No, let them believe what they want to believe. There's enough people in the world that love you and believe the best in you. You don't have to worry about them. Point number three is this. It affects heaven for all of eternity. It affects your heart today, <clears throat> your honor tomorrow, and heaven for all of eternity. It says in Matthew 6 14 through 15 if you forgive others the wrongs they've done to you your father in heaven will forgive you but if you don't forgive others your father won't forgive you okay watch me listen to this um where you spend eternity heaven or hell is based on belief but what heaven or hell is like for you is based on behavior belief in jesus the son of god died for your sins if you believe it you're in heaven if you don't you go to hell <clears throat> But what hell is like, there's different, there's different things in hell. And I've written a whole book on it called Hell. No, you can get it at Barnes & Noble or you can pick it up here, Amazon, whatever. And hell depends on how you treat it. Hitler's hell is going to be different than the, than the person who, you know, was just a, lied a lot or whatever, but didn't believe in Jesus. Their hell is going to be a lot different than Hitler's hell, okay? But heaven, understand that whatever you get the day you arrive in heaven is what you have for the next bazillion centuries and beyond in heaven. It's called eternal rewards. And it never changes. In other words, there's positions in heaven. There's governors of over cities and planets. There's um, crowns in heaven. There's rewards in heaven. But whatever you get that first day is what you get forever and ever and ever. So imagine showing up to heaven's door because you're saved and in your heart there's anger, hatred, or unforgiveness. And you're facing the man who gave his life to forgive you. You're looking him in the face. He died to forgive you of your bazillion sins, but you have unforgiveness towards one sin somebody did to you. Do you really think you're going to get a rewards? You, you, you're going to have one of the... You, don't you want to live... Your house isn't going to be the same as everybody. Don't you want the biggest house that you can get in heaven in the, in the, lo, in the right location? I know y'all like the like, right location. I know y'all like Myrtle Beach better than Conway. I know you do, okay? And there's nothing wrong with Conway, but you know how you, I know how y'all are. And so imagine getting to heaven, nope, there's unforgiveness in your heart. Nope, you're going to be living in anger. <laughs> or whatever, I don't know. That was wrong. I don't know what I'm saying. Okay. In Matthew 27, there are three crosses on a hill called Mount Calvary. The one on the left and the one on the right are for basically thieves. You and I know that the destiny of the cross in the middle was for Jesus but at this point in Matthew 27, that's not what they thought the cross was for. That cross was actually for a man named Barabbas. Barabbas was a horrible, horrible murderer, most likely raped. The Bible says he caused a lot of riots that got people killed. Innocent children, women, they were all killed by the hands of this murderer named Barabbas. And that's his cross. And it's the same that the day they were going to crucify Barabbas was the same day that they captured Jesus and they scourged him and they put a crown of thorns in his head and they beat him. And they bring him, he ends up at Pilate, you know, and Pilate washed his hands. He said, no, I know this guy's innocent. I don't want to crucify him. So Pilate stands before everybody and says, listen, y'all, there's only one cross left. 
This one's for a thief. This one's for a thief. There's one across the middle. So we're only going to crucify one more person today, but I'm going to let y'all choose. Barabbas, the murderer, or Jesus, who's innocent? And just so you know, whoever you choose to be crucified, the other one's going to be set free back into your town, back into your society. Who do you want to crucify and who do you want to set free? In verse 21, there was a particularly notorious criminal named Barabbas, guilty of murder. Pilate said, who shall I release, Barabbas or Jesus? And the crowd shouted back, Barabbas? Pilate said, what am I going to do with Jesus? They shouted, crucify him. Now, this next part is all of my imagination. It is not scripture. It's my, I always want to tell you when I'm giving you my view and what we don't know for a fact, okay? I imagine Barabbas is in his cell, handcuffed. He's on death row. And he knows today's the day, and he's fine with it. He's just that type of guy. He enjoyed the murders, the rapes, everything. And he knows I'm going to be crucified. That's just how it is. And the soldiers come to his cell, and they say, Barabbas, you're free to go. And I picture him thinking, yeah, right. Y'all are just trying to get another one in on me, you know, before you kill me. And um, they said, no, no, you're, you're free to go. He said, what are you talking about? I said, well, there's a man out there. His name's Jesus, and he's going to hang on your cross today. And Barabbas, I imagine he says this, well, what did he do? <laughs> if I'm a murderer, what did he do? And I can picture the youngest soldier there among the three or four soldiers. The youngest one just kind of looks up and says, he did nothing. He's completely innocent. And they un cuff Barabbas and he walks out of his cell. Now this next part, you actually see it in the movie, The Passion. You know, Mel Gibbs' Passion. He spits in the face of Jesus. And then he walks out through the crowd and here's what I think he does. I think he finds somebody that was talking bad about him on Facebook and he beats him up. And then he goes to church and somebody offended him and he gossips about that person. And then he goes to work to the person he doesn't like there and he keys their car. Says nasty things to him. Why would Barabbas do that when he just got free and clear for all the horrible things he did and now he's going to find somebody that hurt his feelings and, 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 and get revenge on them? Do you know that you and I, we're Barabbas in that story. That cross was supposed to be for one of us. It was supposed to be for all of us. But someone hung on our cross so we could be forgiven. And now we're going to have unforgiveness towards somebody else? <clears throat> True story, I'll let you go. In the 1930s, this rebellious teenager, he, he broke the law in his little hometown and he embarrassed his family. I mean, his family was known for being very good, upstanding people in that community. What he did really, really embarrassed their family name. He got sent to prison for eight years and he knew his parents were upset, angry, hurt. And they probably never allow him to come back home. So he wrote a letter to him from prison. He stated that he'd be released in a few days. He was going to take the train home. The train actually went by their farm where the family lived. And he wrote a letter to his mom. He said, Mom, if you and Dad will let me come home again, please tie a piece of bed sheet in the old oak tree by the railroad track, and I'll get off the train. But if I don't see the ribbon of cloth in the tree, I'll know not to get off the train, and I promise I'll never contact you ever again. The day came for his release from prison. He walked to the train station. He bought a ticket. With every turn of the wheels, the tension mounted on the inside. Would there be a cloth of ribbon tied around the old oak tree? 
As the train rounded the bend that led to the farm, he was too anxious to look, fearing that he would be rejected and unforgiven. He asked the man sitting next to him, would you please look at the window? Out the window with the tree in the next farm that we come to. There's a big oak tree in front of it. Tell me, please, if you see a cloth of ribbon tied around the tree. They came around the bend and the man looked out the window. He leaned back over to the young guy and he said, no, I don't see one ribbon. I see hundreds and hundreds of ribbons tied to every branch in the tree. There's ribbons tied to the fence. There's ribbons tied to the clothesline. There's ribbons tied to the back porch. There's so many white ribbons on that farm. It looks like it snowed. What does that mean? The young man said with tears in his eyes. It means I'm forgiven and I get to go back home. Matthew 6, 12 in the Lord's Prayer says, Forgive us in the same way that we forgive everybody else. Forgive your enemies. If you don't, it'll destroy your heart today, your honor tomorrow, and heaven for all of eternity. Amen? Amen. Amen.